In just a moment, we will return with another exciting adventure featuring a guest star from the galaxy of super superheroes. Max Ray, brilliant sea operations commander. Yeah, I can hear you. Can, can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you now. Okay. How can you, can you hear me? Yep. Can you, all right. I'll say something, say something interesting for oh, a change. Can you fucking oh. say something interesting oh. for a fucking change? Oh, come Once on. Once in your no. goddamn life. No, Jason. man. No. Fucking slurping <sighs> loudly. <laughs> I have no, I got no class, you know that. Come on. You're not drinking out of a David Bowie mug this time around. No, no, just a, just a plain old mug. It's kind of like a mug like your grandmother would have or something, you know? Why? So, I don't know. It's kind of a, grandmother would have. Not really. No, grandmother. It, it would have like flat. Yeah, that's right. It would have flowers on it. Yeah, it would be a lot <sighs> slimmer. You know, it would exactly. be from China or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So how how goes it? Do you still are you still with the COVID lockdown? You you're still able to see Sahar? Mm-hmm. She's yeah, she's here with me. Yeah. Um. I uh, oh, you're recording. I didn't realize you were recording already, dude. <laughs> that's all right. Um. Yeah, this right. is going straight to the cops. So. Yeah, I wear a mask all of the time. <laughs> Obviously, don't ever take my mask well, even off. Even in my house. Yeah, even in my house. Uh, yeah, Sahar was wearing the mask in the car today. And I turned around, like she just put it on. And I was, turned around, I said, take that damn thing off. We are allowed to be anti-maskers in this car. All right. <laughs> Oh, God. This is the last place that we are going to be anti. If there's one place that we can be anti-mask, because it is in this car. We are strict QAnon in my car. (laughs) (laughs) As soon as we leave. Oh, Jason. You have frozen. You still there? I can see you, but your picture is frozen. Okay. It was, uh, yeah, my internet was Kaput. fucking up but i think i you're bad you're bad i think you're i now i think i fixed it okay um <clears throat> yeah I've, it says my network bandwidth is low i'm getting errors and shit but is it coming through okay yeah well now you like, are like you can hear me okay are you on wi-fi yeah because the i have to keep my work computer plugged in right now mm-hmm. because uh they're doing some fucking update to it it so i can't I can't. I only have one Ethernet cable. Uh, um, were you but, before on Ethernet before? Yeah, I usually hook up to Ethernet cable, but my internet's just shit anyway. So I, I was worried. I was like, "Well, we'll try it. See if the Wi-Fi well, works." Well, if it fucks up, it fucks up. No problem. <clears throat> yeah, but um, I uh, yeah. So talking about this, I feel like as though talking about this book and kind 
Oh, this is Tucker Park Road. Uh, oh, we're gonna have the intro. We'll have the intro and all that. I feel like even introducing myself is idiotic for a podcast that no one listens to. Like, what do you mean you are RF? Like, I'm supposed to give a shit about your name? <laughs> what do you? How many people? How many people listen? I don't check the numbers. I just assume zero. <laughs> I remember when we were doing it before, um, and we used to upload it. Where are we uploading it? I can't remember. Uh, anyway, wherever we were SoundCloud or whatever. <clears throat> SoundCloud, yeah, yeah. Before it became, and I mean, before it was because before it became like SoundCloud rappers were a thing. Like we were SoundCloud podcasters. Yeah. <laughs> and and I remember the, the the views. Like, oh, that was a good one. We had thirty people listen to that one. <laughs> Fuck. And then remember we had this one episode. You, we called it Celine Diaz because somebody made a stupid joke and we didn't know that Celine Diaz was actually some pop star from South America. And, yeah. uh, and I think that episode had like a thousand views because we saw it and we're like, wow, how did we get a thousand views and all these people from South America? And then we realized that that's what happened. Yeah, and then soon after, there was a coup in Guatemala <laughs> uh, because there were all these frustrated South Americans trying to find Celine Diaz songs and they're coming from across this idiot podcast. Oh, <laughs> uh, God. And we were, we were definitely ahead of the curve, though, on where we were talking about all this shit that everybody, you know, no matter where you go now, it's what everybody's talking about, the kind of left wokeism, cancel culture shit. But, it, but I don't think it, we were... I w- were people saying what I think people might no. have been saying woke no they weren't no. saying woke yet okay yeah it was intersectional remember intersectional was the big thing yeah um, I think maybe social justice warrior had been co- had, had been coined at that point possibly but yeah intersectional that was the big thing and the yeah. uh, and the intersectional stack which we had talked about last week yeah um and so, but, in, um, in but giving, today, yes, so go on, Jason. We're not going to talk about. We're not going to talk about any of that bullshit. Well, well, it ties in. It ties in a little bit. I mean, it sort of ties bit. in a little bit. Yeah, I mean, this guy, this guy, the ant kind, the new uh, Charlie Kaufman novel that we're going to discuss. I mean, this guy is is a raging, you know, social justice person, but he's like 58 does he say, i think at one point he does say his age i i believe he says 58 he's an old he's an older guy anyway he's like late 50s early 60s and um and he's trying to fit in with the young with the young people i, I think, don't right. exactly know what he is trying to do now there is <laughs> good, that's a good I, point i think <laughs> And I think that is. And yet, you're in his head. You're in his head in such an insane, scrupulous way. Like it feels like you cover all the all the terrain of his mind, and yet there's still an aspect where you are wondering, what's with this guy? What's this? What's this guy's (laughs) problem? (laughs) I think it's also the problem that that Kaufman himself has. Now, that right earlier in the week. Uh, Jason and I were reading a profile that was done by of 
Charlie Kaufman in the New York Times over that that was done, I think, in the summertime sometime. Yeah. Good profile. was released. Yeah. And there was a interesting point in it where he, where Kaufman is talking to the interview about the book and the writer of the piece says this. He says, uh, Kaufman's point was that he strove as much as possible to write with an imperfect sense of where a story is going to keep its meaning secret for himself, from himself. I don't have any lessons to impart, he said, and I want to make sure I can't. Which is very interesting. I think that's a very interesting place to start off because this is a book written with the intention of not attempting to impart any stories or, or any lessons to a character who is by nature or at least by his own thoughts attempting to bring form to everything that he sees or to right. impart lessons in each and every aspect of his life and hilariously failing, I mean, attempting to find some profundity, but then also hilariously failing as well at different points in his life. Like, um, he... I, I enjoy the thing with his daughter, the running, the running gag where he's arguing with his daughter on her blog because <laughs> she keeps, she's she's a filmmaker and he writes this shitty review of her movie and they have this strained relationship anyway. Oh, and then yeah. she, and then she takes them down in her blog and then they get into this back and forth in the blog. But that's something this. <laughs> He's so it, the, the man, I mean, most of the comedy comes from the fact that he is, the guy just hates himself. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. He's a very Charlie Kaufman-esque character in that yeah. way. And he yeah. also hates Charlie Kaufman. <laughs> uh, the character himself hates the and author of the, no the movies of the author and, of the and, novel. And he's consistently punished for hating him every time he mentions... Charlie Kaufman and how much he hates him. He falls down a manhole cover. I don't know if you made the connection, but yes. yeah, every time he falls down a manhole cover, it's when he's talking about Charlie Kaufman. Or it, I think at first, it took me a few times for me to realize that's what was happening, but it gets a little more overt as it goes along. Um, um, so I like I like the aspect of of Charlie Kaufman taking shots at himself, but also like, and I'm not saying this is actually what he's trying to do, but it, it does feel a little bit like, you know, getting some kind of, <laughs> some kind of revenge, you know what I mean? On his critics, just that, like, I know a lot of people have actually interpreted this whole novel as being his revenge on movie critics, but I, I don't see it that way. And I don't, I, I don't know he's mentioned it, that he definitely doesn't, that was not the intention. It was just, um, he was interested in someone who writes 
you know, like he was interested in the idea of a critic because it's someone who has this in-depth knowledge on something they can't actually do. You know, it would be like, you know, criticism is kind of a weird thing in that way. And I don't think Charlie Kaufman's anti-criticism, but in that you're basically paid to, but I guess it's not, I mean, maybe that's what all writers do. I mean, isn't that kind of what a writer does? I suppose whatever you're writing about. I mean, like, like if you're if you write about politics, you're not usually a politician, you know, as an example, like you don't actually participate in it directly. So yeah, not I, at the I guess, time of the writing of the politics, not at the time hmm. anyway. Yeah, but Boris Johnson um, was a writer with the Spectator, but he wasn't a politician. Yeah, that's right. right? Yeah, that's right. Um, But But. there's something about well, to address the criticism of a book about criticism about a character who is a film critic. I think it's important to remember that Kaufman is that actually there are times in it where he's actually sort of reaching for a kind of, he's trying to give this character a kind of profundity that's very interesting and it's actually quite noble. Like I made a note here and this sounds really pompous, but I really think that this is like it. If you want to figure out what this book is about and despite Charlie Kaufman's attention, it takes him about halfway through the novel. At around 285 is when I think you actually, if you want to look for the themes of this thing, or at least mm-hmm. what he's attempting, what he's grasping at. Mm-hmm. And you could really say that this is, you could actually sum up Kaufman's entire career, whether or not this was his intention or not, whether this is an intention or not. As a viewer, this is how I see Kaufman's writing, or at least Kaufman's entire film career. So this is, he says this. This is, uh, oh, you should, uh, we should mention that the protagonist's name has is B. Rosenberger, Rose, <laughs> Rosenberger Rosenstein. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so he's a film critic. And the plot of the movie or the book is that B., uh, is uh, is a film critic who comes into contact with a m- m- movie made by, in his own words, uh, a wonderful African-American man named Ingo Cuthbert. The movie is about three months long. Uh, with breaks built right into it? With breaks built right... <laughs> with breaks... This is the... Yeah, this is, yeah with breaks right, built right into it. And he... And B watches the movie and uh, wants to tell the world about it. And in the process of him watching the movie, Ingo dies. And B, as he is attempting to get a, makes a rest stop with the movie in his truck, makes it makes a stop at uh, a, a, an outlet called the Slammy Burger. And... Uh, there in the uh, when he makes that rest stop because it's the summer 
the uh, <laughs> the van burns down and um, taking the entire the entirety of this three month long film with it and the only thing that's remaining is one frame of the film and he has to reconstruct uh, the entire movie from that single frame of the movie uh, from that single frame from that single recovered frame uh is that did i miss anything that's about as um, much as uh, yeah i mean that's a basic outline and th- which is just it's such a charlie kaufman premise i mean that's like it's just it, it's almost a st- it's almost a stereotype of, of of a Charlie Kaufman premise, and and then he's being uh, he's going to hypnosis, trying to recover the film, um, and I mean, and and then eventually, I mean, there's a definitely a point in the book where I don't know what the fuck happens. I mean, yeah, it's, he goes into he gets swallowed by a whale, and there's uh, there's a at least a three or four or five chapter sequence where he is where Kaufman is attempting to do the uh, Plato's allegory of the cave but putting Rosenberg but be inside it inside the allegory right Um, and yeah this just goes on for three chapters and it's hilarious but anyway if if you wanted to understand what the the novel really was uh, this is B, remembering something. Uh, This comes at about 300 pages in. Wait, something is coming to me. A conversation with Ingo one night during our dinner break of ramen and reconstituted evaporated milk. Horrendous. (laughs) A horrible meal. (laughs) Um, Most of us are invisible, he said. We live our lives unrecorded. When we die, it's it's soon as if we have never lived. But we are not without consequence because, of course, the world does not function without us. We have jobs. We support economies. We take care of children and the elderly. We are kind to someone. We murder. Uh, the existence of us, the unseen people, must be acknowledged. But the dilemma is that once acknowledged, we are no longer truly those same unseen people. Your Darden brothers, your Deseekers, your Satyajit Rays are honorable, talented filmmakers, decent, and I suspect caring, but the work they do is wrong-handed. <laughs> Once the unseen are seen, they are no longer unseen. These men have perpetuated a fiction. I have struggled with this issue, and my solution is to build and animate the world outside the view of my camera. These characters exist and are as carefully animated as those seen in the film. They are for... They are just forever out of view. And I think that's about as close to an articulation that we are going to get hmm. from Kaufman about what... That, yeah, that struck me as a key line as well. And, and it's, it's, very, it's very reminiscent of a lot of his work. You're right. I mean, even the most recent film, uh, I'm... I'm not. I'm thinking, thinking of, of ending. I'm thinking of ending things, um, where at a certain point, uh, spoiler alert. Um, at a certain point, you realize that this is all taking place in the mind of this one old man, 
or at least that was my perception that's, of that's what, what was happening. I mean, it seemed exactly. Yeah, it seemed. Yeah, it seemed it seemed obvious, but I've heard a few people have different interpretations for some reason. But to me, it seemed kind of obvious that that's what was happening. Um, it's it's this idea of. You know, it's it's really what is it? I mean, he's making he's telling stories about the kind of quiet desperation that we all live with. You know, I think his characters are a little more, um, you know, maybe neurotic than than um, the type of character you might normally make. This like it's funny that he mentions you know Desica and the Darden brothers and people like that. Um, I mean, I think there's a political class conscious sort of dimension to their work that Kaufman doesn't have, but I think the impulse is similar. It's, it's a, it's exactly that it's the showing the people that we maybe don't normally see stories about. Like these people are, are, For all their intellectual pensions at some level, these are just regular from Synecdoche, New York, who gets the genius grant and he's building up this, um, uh, he's building up this replica, you know, his life on a, a replica of his life. You know, he's got. But but the details that we focus on, like this is, these are not heroic people. Let's put it that way. I mean, I don't know if he's a regular person exactly, but I mean, whatever that even means. But uh, these are, not, he's not making, telling stories about heroic people. He's telling stories about people that are flawed. And I think, absolutely. And in Rosenberg B's case, in Ant kind, the protagonist of this, an absolute. I mean, repulsive moron idiot <laughs> that is so familiar to me that it, 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 it's unnerving. Yeah. Well, do you think, and I think part of what makes Kaufman great. Not, I'm not saying that that person is me. I'm saying that I know this person uh, very closely. I know this person intimately. I've known this person for a long time. Uh, so, Jason, uh, could you read? <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, go ahead. What well, I think what I think what makes Kaufman great, like what makes him a great artist, is you can tell that he he has these thoughts and these impulses as a person that he thinks that seems bad in some way, or that seems really selfish or that seems too horrible to write about. And those are the things that he writes about. And you could tell in his mind, he's thinking, well, if I think this way and I feel this way, there's probably other people that feel this way. And I think for those of us who strongly connect to his work, that's what it is, right? It's the, yeah, I mean, like, you know, I, I definitely, I wouldn't say I am 
Rosenberg, you know, that's probably a bit much, uh, but, um, but I see aspects of myself in him. Absolutely. I mean, the, um, you know, the the way, please, please, before you continue, I want you to read, I want to hear it in your voice. (laughs) I want to hear, uh, page 44 and 45 in your voice. Okay. Just a sec. Uh, uh, which one is it? So I'm starting at uh, just a sec here. Okay, here we go. So he said. So it starts out. So this section. He so he's. Um, I mean, I guess I'll just read it. I don't. I don't. I don't need to really set it up. You two will get old and die. I have on occasion screamed at groups of teens who have called out Baldy or Beardy or Baldo or Beardo or Baldhead or Beardface at me from the safety of the 7-Eleven parking lot. At times I have screamed it at teens who have said nothing to me. Whom I am not, rep- whom I am not repulsed by are the elderly genius directors amongst us. The Godards, the Melvilles, the... The Renaises. <laughs> I like that, the Renaises. Although I am not a homosexual by inclination, I do, I do feel a certain romantic interest in these men. Perhaps because I see them as father figures, as godlike, as paterfamiliuses, if you will. Perhaps because I would like them to see me, to love me, and admire me the way I love and admire them. How to achieve that? Well, certainly if I could write a monograph elucidating their work in ways never before elucidated in the history of film history, that would help. Perhaps if I could even show them things about their work they themselves had never considered. But this has not happened. And as they have died off one by one, the possibility of it happening has diminished greatly. I have often I have often thought it unfair that pulchritudinous young women can gain access to older, successful, brilliant male artists for no reason other than the artists wanting to fuck them. That, that's a great, great line. I, I love that the jealousy seems to be more directed at the fact that these it's he's, he's jealous of the women, not of like he's jealous that the women get access to these artists that he loves, not that these artists get to fuck these women. Um, whereas I have sweated and strained to understand their work, to shed light on it. I have, in my highly insightful way, he's great, adored them, and yet nothing. This is the height of sexism. (laughs) Why can't they love me? Why couldn't my father love me just for being me? It was always about proving my worth to him. Never because I was cute or sexy. And as a child, I was both, I believe. Imagine a... Imagine a holy synthesis of Brandon Cruz from the courtship of Eddie's father and Mayim Bialik of Blossom fame. (laughs) And you're imagining me as a boy. I was the epitome of (laughs) pulchritudinous. 
I know it's impolitic to celebrate man-boy love, but the Greeks, the greatest generation, with apologies to those of you who fought the Nazis, with the most geniuses per square foot in the history of the world, seem to do all right with it. To be clear, I am not condoning such an uneven power (laughs) dynamic in any relationship, and I fully believe children must be protected from predators. The only thing I am saying is that if Alain René had taken an interest in me as a little boy, I would have been flattered. Obviously, that ship sailed a long time ago. That's, wow. That's that's amazing that oh, he's like it, i want you to man i have so many passages uh <laughs> i just want to hear this in jason's voice <laughs> it's uh it's, it's amazing. and you know what's funny in in that does he say it in that that profile where he's talking about it's it's something i saw uh, some interview promoting the book and he talked about how the work that he considers it closest to is synecdoche and that like he felt like of the work that he's done and he felt like synecdoche was this kind of like this work where he was really laying it all out on the table so to speak but the aspect of it that frustrated him was that he thought it was a comedy and nobody understood that it was a comedy and nobody thought it was funny. He's wrong because I think it's fucking it's hilarious. hilarious. Um, yeah. And it's funnier the more you watch it. Like, I think the first time I saw it, I maybe... I didn't get that the first time. I, 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 think. I, I think I was just so overwhelmed by the the kind the of emotional of power of it that it, it didn't bring... It. But, oh, my God, there's things in it, like all that weird shit where his uh, he can't salivate. Mm-hmm. Or his, and, and he's tr- he's trying to eat food, and he's tr- trying to make himself salivate and stuff like that. It's just so fucking weird. Um, his daughter on her deathbed keeps telling, calling him gay, you know. <laughs> right, and, and it's like it's so it's so sad too, but it's it's also hilarious. It's like what is happening? But this book, he said, he wanted people to understand that it was. Um, it was a comedy, so he wanted he was he wanted it to just be you know forty jokes a page basically, and I think he's successful, man. Like, there's very few pages in that book that don't make me laugh it's, at least a little bit. It's the fun. It's one of the funniest. Like there is, it's like laugh out loud. I've not, I haven't laughed this hard at a, at a novel. I, like there's a part. I, man, I just wish you had. I, I, wish I mean, I just the name. Just, <laughs> just the names of the fucking monographs that he writes. I wish I could remember some of them, but they're so funny. Like he's always writing these obscure monographs, and it's always, you know, I've written the only monograph in existence about the, you know, the history of, you know, the way light reflects off, uh, you know, a black person and film or something like that it's that's not actually one but there are like these weird obscure things like that where it's just it's like what (laughs) like there's some and he just takes these bizarre sort of pompous tangents where you don't even yeah yeah where he just like for instance he does this he says in a car i am driving me but not me you know what i mean night dark black 
really. An empty black highway lined with black trees, beautiful. Constellations of moths and hard-shelled insects in my headlights smack the windshield, leave their insides. I fiddle with the radio dial. I'm nervous, jittery. Too much coffee? First Starbucks, then Dunkin' Donuts. Of course, Dunkin' Donuts makes the better coffee. Starbucks is the smart coffee for dumb people. It's the Christopher Nolan of coffee. Dunkin' Donuts is lowbrow, authentic. It is the simple, real pleasure of a Judd Apatow movie, not showing off. Actual, <laughs> human, don't compete with me, Christopher Nolan. You will always lose. I know who you are, and I know I'm the smarter of us. <laughs> Such an idiot. <laughs> he, always say, he always says shit like that. I'm smarter. I'm smarter than you. He's arguing uh, with Christopher Nolan. Like he's having an imaginary argument with Christopher Nolan in his head. Yeah. This fucking idiot. <laughs> I, well, I, and you I know have 100% had that argument in my head. <laughs> oh, but, oh, yeah, man. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, like, like say, arguing with fucking, I don't know, Robin D'Angelo or somebody. <laughs> um, um, it's. I wonder about the Nolan thing. I part of me wonder. It, I think the thing I like about reading the book too is it's so layered, and there's so many references that just come flying at you. And I also like because I don't get all the references, and it's hard to know which ones are real and which ones aren't. Like because there's like real. He combines real references like real movie references with fictitious movie references um um but with the nolan thing i i just yeah you know i definitely just had the thought i wonder what charlie kaufman thinks of christopher nolan <laughs> you know because because there is a there is you know charlie kaufman is sort of like the more He's like the more heady, surreal kind of cousin of Christopher Nolan. Like, there's definitely some kind of a kinship there where they both are really into like world building and they both do have an interest. Nolan, not all the time, but often he does have an interest in, you know, the mind, like the human mind, like memento and. Mm. Inception. Um, I'm not sure about this new one. Uh, I'm not sure about this new one, Tenet, but um, I haven't seen that. But um, I hated it. Yeah, I heard. I heard it's not very good. Yeah. Well, Um, you can see. I. I. I imagine. I don't know. I'm just sort of hypothesizing here, but I can see. You know, Kaufman's interest to sort of in time. You know, make. you know, maybe, maybe they would like. Maybe his mm. curiosity would be piqued because so much of Tenet deals with the sort of moving backwards and forwards in time. But right. he's very genre specific, you know. And most well, of Tenet is just like indecipherable. Like I don't, I don't actually understand what's going on. I don't know who these people are. I mean, I understand. Like as right. convoluted as Antkind is, the seven hundred page novel, I never not understand the people who are in it you know it's the people absolutely yeah the people are so familiar i i think oh are you still there 
Uh, yeah. Can I you can, can you hear me? But you yeah, can hear I me. Okay. Okay. He's very. He's he's very logical in the way he approaches the material, and I think he just thinks about it in those terms. So his movies are very, they're like contraptions, right? Like they're, I like Nolan. I, I don't have a problem with him, but I think one of the reasons he's not one of my favorite filmmakers is because his movies feel, there's no real mystery there. When I, you know, these seem like these closed off worlds, like these kind of, these intricately worked out mechanisms. Um, and the one time he kind of tried to veer away from that a little bit, which is, I think, Interstellar. I mean, it stinks. <laughs> so I wonder yeah. if maybe that's the only way he can, you know, he, he can work. Whereas I think Kaufman has a little bit of that. Like he does have that part of him that in the early films, but he seems to be moving away from that. But in the early films, they do have these, they are kind of intricately worked out, you know, like being John Malkovich and eternal sunshine of the spotless mind adaptation. But within that, there's still a lot of room for surrealism and these really bizarre tangents and um it's not it's not so there's still kind of a mystery there and ambiguity um and then i think with synecdoche i mean he really just explodes that whole thing like that one it's it just doesn't have that same it's a little more freewheeling i think and this novel is definitely freewheeling i mean there's a plot you can find it you know like if you kind of scrape off some of the layers of of uh of self-hatred <laughs> yeah but but if you know you politics yeah like there's definitely a plot but it's 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 definitely not something that is plot driven even though it's plot heavy like it is plot heavy. There's a lot that happens in this novel. I mean, I, Jesus Christ! At a certain point, there's Donald Trump automatons and oh yeah, in a war yes. in a war with. Uh, there's an entire chapter written in the voice of Donald Trump or Donald Trunk, uh, who is right. uh, yeah automatons and an automaton that falls in love. Yeah, the real Donald Trump falls in love with the. With his own automaton, and then they have sex. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, it's. I mean, these are the kind of things you. Uh, I mean, these are the kind of things you can find here. I mean, there's a point he's sleeping in a sock drawer because he's shrinking. That's right. Yeah, he turns and, into an. And I like the. Well. I, and, and, <laughs> and also, also this novel is very Charlie Kaufman like, as well, in the way that things just kind of happen and they're not really explained. It's the, you know, it's the like, like, and he's had this right from the beginning, right? It's the like being John Malkovich. I don't know. There's some fucking portal to John Malkovich's head. And I don't know. And then, uh, you know, uh, 
Eternal Sunshine, the spotless mind. It's like, yeah, I don't know. We kind of just hook them up to this machine and we kind of do some things to their brain and sort of erases their memory. I don't know how it fucking works, but like, like you can, early on, he always get details of like, how does this actually work? Maybe that's another. Oh, go on, man. Sorry. I think we're, we're lagging. But go on. Oh, oh, I was just going to say that, uh, that's probably the, the difference between, uh, uh, another difference between Nolan and sunshine was a Nolan movie. You would, you would work all that out. He would get very detailed about science and how it all works. Kaufman just kind of likes these fantastical premises to use them as metaphors but he for also has something else. This character, for some reason, or for a hilarious reason, has just this... He has a just an odd love of Judd Apatow movies. And it's never really... He has a, a irrational hatred of Charlie Kaufman movies, but a <laughs> absolute like loathe, you know, absolute love of of Apatow movies. And there is a hilarious "This Is Forty" review that he does at around two hundred and fifty pages in. <laughs> this is this is the review he writes. Amazing. This is indeed forty. <laughs> it is as if Apatow had a camera in my house when I was at that age. Even though I know I did not get the scene verbatim, it's a testament to the power of the writing and the performances of Rudman, as I have dubbed Paul Rudd and Leslie Mann, so organic and believable are they as a couple, that I still find myself simultaneously laughing and crying as I recall the scene. The raw human emotionality is palpable, but no, it is not as well-formed a memory as the Abbott and Costello murder plot scene from a movie I have seen only once, and that name and that viewing in nameless ape mode. I don't even know that. I weep some more, and then I laugh because the humanity Apatow shows us is also very funny. This is where his gift lies: his ability to reveal to us the tragedy and comedy that is our lives. As like the fucking, just the dripping sarcasm. <laughs> just well, well. There's the thing that's funny. He mentions this critic in in novel, but. A lot of if see this is like I'm very not not as much now but years I was very entrenched in f- this film culture so I read all these people and all these critics so to anyone who reads a lot of criticism it's really obvious he's talking about Richard Brody that like a lot there's certain aspects of this character. That are even the way he looks, the way he describes them. Like if you just Google Richard Brody and find a picture of him, the way he describes him, it's clearly sort of modeled on him. Um, and but Richard Brody loves um, Apatow, and and there's also this funny thing in the in the novel where he'll have these top ten lists. He'll have I these topics of him. and and it'll <laughs> yeah man um, and, but there, he he does these top ten and it'll be all these obscure movies that nobody's heard of and a Judd Apatow movie thrown in <laughs> and that's what Richard Richard Brody's lists are kind of that too um, uh, yeah he fucking he loves Judd Apatow uh, 
but he hates Charlie Kaufman. So a lot of people thought of it as some kind of like score settling. Uh, um, Brody's actually been, other people have gotten way more upset and offended on Brody's behalf. Brody's actually been like oddly mensch like about it. Like he said, he was like, hey, if I was some kind of an inspiration for him, I'm flattered, was was all he said about it. So he doesn't seem to care or have a problem with it. But um, yeah, a lot of people seem to be getting upset on his behalf. Um, but yeah, so so there's definitely a like inside baseball act to the novel if if you if you read a lot of criticism. Um, and, and I think the critic, like film critics who've read the book, I think they, I, I can't, they, they just, I think they take umbrage with it for that reason. I think they see it as, you know, like you're being mean, you're being mean to us, Kaufman, <laughs> you know, Leia. Um, but I mean, it's silly. Like it's a silly thing for it's like who i mean if is the book good or not what matters like is the actual book good and and i think like you said like i think in the end for all the ways in which b is a silly character and yeah he's the you know he's the butt of a lot of jokes and he is a figure of ridicule but he also has a lot of empathy for him and there's a lot of genuine Oh, humanity that oh you've oh. gone silent oh i can i can still can you hear me can you hear me i can see you can you hear me can't hear you buddy it's can. coming back maybe Hang is it on. coming back is it coming gradually right. gradually there must be in rhythm below your update okay all right you why don't hear we hear i'm gonna you i'm just gonna me, unplug I can hear you. Can you hear me? Can okay. you hear me? Can you can you now hear me? I can. Now I can. Okay. I'm all right, I'm gonna be right back. I'm just gonna I don't care, man. Fuck fuck work. I'm gonna I'm just gonna unplug my work computer and plug the Ethernet cable into my laptop and maybe this'll stop happening. Oh you're I'll, back. I'll be now, right back, buddy, okay? By the way. Maybe you're, you're back now, by the way. Oh, okay. Okay, maybe just pause the recording for a sec, and I'll I'll go take care of this. Just because this is annoying that it keeps lagging okay. and hope. Okay. All right. Sorry, you were in the middle okay. of something. I forget. I forget where you were at when we lost. Uh, I think we were talking. We were I was saying something. Um. Oh, I think we were just talking about. We were talking about the humanity of the character that the character, you know, while he is that, I think this whole way that the film critics were looking at this character, like the way they're viewing the novel is it's almost petty. Like I understand they see him as being petty, but I think they're missing out on something quite, you know, wonderful, almost I mean, there's a real... Well, they see it as a turf war, right? Yeah. And, and I mean, but this and is... See, I mean, I... 
at some level i think he is i don't think kaufman is interested in as much of a turf war as attempting to give form to um a business that has no real form much like life doesn't you know what i mean mm. so i think at some level he is also implicated in the very thing that the critics are he i think considers himself implicated in all of it absolutely right? yeah probably considers him like and that's why even though he doesn't intend for it to have any message or tell or any sort of impart any lessons the world sort of impedes into it just like it would impede into anyone's subconscious you know and i think novels are not written i think that that you know steal something from martin amis is that most novels are written through the subconscious they're not they're not like when people like when novelists talk like as though they are just a slave to what's coming out when they're writing yeah she do think that charlie kaufman wrote a 700 page novel just to critique them is a very it's very odd because it's also so it's also it's also <laughs> it's also not true because the the character at the end is somehow you know i mean there's a redemptive aspect of this character this yeah. character finds a kind of peace and you know it's almost buddhist in its ending you know yeah he's um, yeah he's well it's very i mean it's very narcissistic for these critics to view it that way and to think absolutely to think he's going to spend 700 pages to settle scores like score settling with critics and and the thing the thing that's funny about it too is like i mean okay over time he's developed some critical pushback you know like there's i think there's a i think starting with synecdoche there was definitely a backlash amongst critics for charlie kaufman that i don't think ever completely went away like the reviews aren't as universally great for his movies anymore but overall he's still a pretty well regarded a critical favorite so the idea that charlie kaufman needs to settle scores with critics anyway is cut is a little bit weird like i i don't i just i don't know um and and then and, and then novel. i'll just say that i agree and and then people have pointed out cuz there's a section in uh the new film when she's she she go she starts talking like Pauline Kael and she and she reads she's reciting a, a Pauline Kael review of a woman under the influence and people have seen that as further like see see Kaufman does hate critics this is further and i mean just the idea like well there's no indication that he hates Pauline Kael i mean maybe he hates a woman under the influence maybe he agrees with pauline kale like we 
there's no indication of what he actually thinks about it. It's just, it's just a weird thing that happens in the movie, you know? Um, um, I mean, there is a sort of critical, there, there is this odd, um, uh, relationship that I think filmmakers have with critics is that, you know, filmmakers at some level are somehow, you know, they are, you know, they're operating from pure instinct, you know, mm-hmm. that's all they are, that directors are really is just pure instinct. And yeah. critics are under the assumption that there is some sort of deep, you know, complicated, you know, uh, 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 like calculus going on, you know, like uh, Jake Gyllenhaal in Zodiac, you know, like with the red thread everywhere, you know, like maybe there right. is some aspect of that there, but uh, I think I believe that there are a lot of filmmakers has like a, a lot of filmmakers have, you know, they are they are they are operating on pure id, um, and certainly the, the, be- the best to think that. Go ahead, Ben. I was going to say the best filmmakers. I think there's filmmakers who operate in the way the critics perceive, and those filmmakers tend to not be so good. <laughs> you like, know, you know the, the the strange thing about Wes Anderson, for instance, is that when I heard him talk, because you would think that he this is a guy who is just completely meticulous in his. Right. Dioramas. But apparently, according to him, he said these things come out fully formed in his head. You know, he has no idea why they come out like that. That's just the way it comes out. You know, I, it's very that's very Hitchcockian in that way. That's very Hitchcock. He was the same way. Like he did storyboard and meticulously plan it and everything. But it was that he already saw it in his head. Like it was there. It, like exactly like you said, like it was fully formed. I mean, he didn't write his own material, but once he had the script and he would just kind of think about it and these images would just come to him and then it was all just about, okay, I need to get what's in my head onto the screen. So I think while the process of getting what's in his head to the screen is very methodical and worked over the process of actually getting these images in his mind is, I think, yeah, is very, was, was very intuitive. And I'm assuming with Wes Anderson, it's probably the same because certainly there must be a lot of preparation that goes into mounting one of these films. And the, the images are so precise um, and the set design is so precise and the costumes are so precise that I, I'm sure it's all very carefully worked out, but I think the pro like, yeah, I think the process in which he comes up with the ideas and basically comes up with the images. Yeah. is a very um, intuitive one. Yeah. And the irony is that critics seem to think that they are operating on meticulousness on a principle of meticulousness but really they are themselves are also operating on on pure instinct you know critic on, you mean the critics I operating so. on pure instinct yeah absolutely I think well, so. well yeah because what you're doing is you watch it's like 
like, like if I was a critic, I can see how it would drive you crazy. Cause I watched this film last week. All no, the devil all the time. It's a Netflix movie. Okay. Uh, it's like a Southern Gothic kind of sure. Um, like noirish type movie. I yeah, like I that, don't know uh, if like what's his name Friedkin movie right that Matthew McConaughey Friedkin movie. It was a, you know what it was Killer Joe. It was yeah I I it's it's a movie I thought about when watching it. Sure, it's not as good as that, but it's a movie I thought about. But the thing is, I'm watching it and like I'm enjoying it. I thought it was quite good. I, I liked it, but to try to think about it logically, to try to articulate what I thought was good about it. I don't know. Cause there's an aspect of it where I think like, ah, the movie's kind of stupid. <laughs> this is kind of a stupid movie. Um, it's, it's ridiculous, but I still enjoyed it. You know, like I still liked it. And because I'm not a critic, that's not a problem. Like I'm okay with that. There's no weird, like, there's no hang up about it because I'm. I, I, I mean, I don't need to articulate it. There's no reason for me to do it. But I could see how, if I was being tasked to write about that movie, uh, I would think, "Fuck, I don't know. Like, I don't know what to say. Like, um, I almost feel like I'd have an easier time writing a bad review of it than writing a good review, even though I actually liked it." But it's hmm. so I I I think a lot of times with critics that that's probably the issue, right? It's that you're you're basically trying to intellectualize and articulate emotional responses you have to things. It's it's you know it's absolutely very intuitive. I mean, however refined you think your tastes are, it's still a very intuitive thing. And this character of B is very much like that, right? Like he even talks about it at length ad nauseum numerous times in the in the novel about how how refined his tastes are and he has a method of uh of how he watches films and um <laughs> which the method is like it's like he watches it once. I, I know it said he watches it seven times, right? In the end, his method is to watch it backwards as well. And one of the times he watches it backwards, once he maybe watches it with the sound off or something. And, um, but, uh, but he's somebody who thinks like, I'm a, you know, I mean, really he's a character who isn't comfortable with his own desires is a lot of this character too, right? Like he's constantly, cause he's constantly like with his kind of woke bullshit, he's constantly talking about how he clearly has these old fashioned kind of views on women and relationships, like just like stereotypical heterosexual male kind of um, attitudes towards relationships but he's constantly self-flagellating over it and he's constantly like tormenting himself over the fact 
that these are the desires that he has. And to be a truly better person, he has to overcome, in his mind, he has to overcome these sort of what he would perceive as base desires. It's a very, you know, he's a very, uh, and I think, I don't know, if, and I don't think this is intentional. I don't think this is in any way the like a point he's necessarily trying to make, but I think he does actually get at something about the woke kind of mindset that drive that drives a lot of people crazy, like people who adopt this ideology and try to live it, and that leads them to the so much. Contradictions are too much. Mental, yeah, and I think that he does. Whether I mean, it's he does intentional, it very early on. Like there's that part where he um, just exactly like you're saying, he does this thing where he goes, he goes on to talk at length about his, um, in his words, his, uh, his African-American girlfriend <laughs> and he, and I marked this down. I just wish you could read it, but I'll just read it as best as I can. Um, Uh, this African-American woman was everything I had ever wanted and didn't think possible. She's been in several movies as well, movies I've explored in my own writings, uh, movies in which I've given her favorable mention. She is obviously well-read, she's funny, and our conversation is like lightning, witty, intense, emotionally naked. Often we talk through the night fueled by coffee, cigarettes, which I gave up years ago, but inexplicably find myself smoking with her with smoking when I'm with her and sex. I didn't know I could get erections like this anymore. The first night I couldn't get it up because I imagined she was comparing me to the stereotypical African-American man's anatomy and I was self-conscious and ashamed. <laughs> but we talked through that. She explained to me that she'd been with both meagerly and well-endowed black men and that there was something inherently racist about my assumption that I needed to investigate it straight on. She went on to say that size is not important anyway. It is how a man uses his penis, his mouth, his hands. It is the love with which he engages that is the ultimate aphrodisiac, she explained. She ended by saying I needed to check my privilege, which did not seem to be the issue at hand, but <laughs> about that she was undoubtedly correct. She is a wise African-American woman and exceedingly sensual. Everything she does in the world from saying to bathing to cooking to looking to sex is done with the most immediacy I've ever witnessed from another human. I have much to learn from her. Over the decades, I've erected walls that must be torn down. She told me this, and I am trying. I'm taking yoga with her, and I always make sure to position myself behind her so I can watch her amazing African-American ass. <laughs> it's hard to believe I get to touch that. <laughs> this guy... <laughs> <laughs> that's okay i can't believe i get to touch that that's a great that's a great line um it, it's it's funny too because i think right in that section you get the like weird like the, like you said like the contradictions and the kind of like self-flagellation and you also get this aspect of wokeism especially when it's um like a white person's uh, a white person's view 
of minorities who adopts the kind of woke ideology. So like a white person's view of black people as an example of a black woman and the way that it's, it's, it's so condescending and it's so, I mean, racist, quite frankly, like it's this thing where, you know, you're trying so hard not to be racist and you're bending over backwards, not to be racist that it's just, it's so racist, like the way it comes out. And, and you see this all the time. I mean, you see like on social media or whatever, and you see these kind of woke white people engaging with black people. And you think, can you see your, can you fucking hear yourself right now? But yeah, that, that section, that whole early section is, is, is really, is really funny. And, and I think it is one of the more, incisive um takes on it that i've come across in any like whether it's film or whatever like i because i think a lot of people i think quite frankly a lot of artists are steering clear right like they don't they don't want to they don't want to touch it they're just like i i don't even want to go there you know um and i i like the fact that kaufman goes there and not in like 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 as a flamethrower you know what i mean like he's not it's not to like like he's not taking them down or anything like that i don't think that's the intention but i think he is getting into the psychology of of the kind of person who might practice this ideology and um and it's it's good yeah that early section is is really is is really good and it's it's really um it's 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 definitely really really funny but but i think this guy is just he's drowning in his own delusions about himself he's he's drowning in the the contradictions within himself like he's he's just somebody who cannot be honest with himself like he tries to be honest with himself but he he's he's never it's that he can't be honest about who he really is like he he's he's being honest about what his desires are but he's basically constantly like no that's bad that's bad that's bad that i feel that way i need to be this way like that's his whole that's what's really driving this character through a lot of the novel it's you know i want to be like this but i know it's bad i need to be this way but he can't he you know he but can't I do ha- at some level i do get the desire to be this and it's you know it's a regrettable one for me i do understand the instinct to be this kind of prophet of uh of uh, of or a champion of uh, this of these the, of the unheard of the you know of the unseen um, right 
thinking of himself as this 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 person who will be you know uh, who will uh, who's this sort of uh, the champion of the marginalized of some sort you know what i mean right and he sees film in the same manner in that in that as part of that great project you know that these are like people you know these are like the right. unwashed masses who does you know who deserve once they once they uh, once the world sees the light of their sort of you know uh, sort of uh, unwashed intelligence or un un um, uh, unpolished intelligence uh, you know they they too will find something about uh, they they too will get get in touch with authenticity you know what i mean that like that 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 there is something about there is something authentic about uh the the world of unseen and unwatched films that is uh right uh, that's more authentic than or at least that more real or more truthful than you know whatever mainstream bullshit that he is in in contact with right or he feels like his he's in contact with or right hilariously Judd Apatow is somehow <laughs> you know <laughs> well it's a contradiction in that uh, well it's it's but I do interesting that well i think i think he but but i another aspect of it that's that that's that i think shows the way in which this guy is not being completely honest with himself either is he has there's a lot of thoughts he has regarding trying to bring this film to the public and what his role in that will be and it's obvious that this is all about him this like his desire to bring this film to the masses isn't really about um sh- you know sharing this great work with people i mean that might be a little part of it but that's not the main thing the main thing is he wants everybody to know how fucking brilliant he is and him being the discoverer of this film who's going to bring it to people and is going to explain its virtues and values will finally give him the recognition that he deserves and and i think this person is very he's somebody who's driven largely by ego but he thinks he's being driven by virtue that's the confusion one of the confusions that this guy has it's that he yeah he's being driven by his ego but he thinks he's being driven by some higher calling or some higher virtue which that in and of itself you could argue is probably it? is i think he he does sort in of in in a hundred and so on 105 so this is what he's this is he's yeah one one wants one seed to grow at the expense of others and so one destroys the ecosystem of ideas as much as one wants to be able to see through one's windshield if the insects are gone the entire ecosystem collapses so it is in the world of ideas in which i travel i'm not entirely clear on this train of thought but it feels profound <laughs> then later on he goes on to say the art is of paramount importance to me of course but perhaps on some level i do covet celebrity 
clearly it is not the primary mover in my psyche, but I suspect it is there, buried, lurking. You know. But I think that, so but but again, that's still a cop out, and I think that's the dishonesty. He says, I think at some level it's there. It's not the primary thing. It's buried, lurking. But we, it's like fuck off, dude. Like we, it's obvious what this guy, like no, this guy, is more to us. motivated yeah. by that. So that's what I mean by he's not completely aware. Like he's not totally oblivious to it, but. Yeah. He's tricking himself into thinking I'm mainly uh, motivated by virtue, but if you know, if I happen to benefit personally a little bit, well, you know, that's cool too, and I'll like that. But mainly, it's about the you know showing this great film to the masses, and and um, yeah, and, and and once again with Kaufman, you get. Uh, he loves his doppelgangers. He he loved like <laughs> uh, so many of his films have have that. Um, and uh, and in this novel, yeah, you get you get the doppelganger. Where I mean, quite frankly, I don't even know if I could explain what exactly happens. He seems to have gone into another dimension, maybe or something. Possibly, I don't. I don't yes. quite know what's going on in that movie in there there seems to be an alternate reality yeah and that he go he goes into this alternate reality where he, he so him from the reality we start in goes into an alternate reality and he meets himself in this alternate reality himself in the alternate reality has managed to get the film like has managed to write his book about the film and remember, you know, uh, he's basically achieved all the things that B actually wants to achieve. And so he's immediately, you know, hostile and jealous and uh, angry with, and then he kills him with this guy. Yeah, that's right. And then, and then he like adopts his, that's what I mean. This book is so fucking dense. I forgot about that. As soon as you said, then he kills him. I'm like, oh yeah, right. Then he kills him, <laughs> and then he adopts yes. his idea. Yeah, he adopts his identity, and um, or, or he tries to. I don't think it lasts long, right? Like he tries to adopt no. his identity, but pretty quickly he has to leave, and he. It's it's very. It's and a really strange. By a whale. <laughs> yeah, or a fish, it's, or something. Um, yeah, it's a very yeah. Um, this yeah. It's at some level you don't the project that we are attempting is also attempting to give form to something that is. I mean, it does have a form. It is a seven hundred page book, so it's hmm. ridiculous for me to say that it doesn't that it's completely formless. But. I do understand at what Kaufman was attempting to do with creating some sort of formless novel. Now, he's not the first one to do this, to attempt this. There are many other people who have attempted this, you know, Ulysses, whatever, you know, yeah. Finnegan's Pin Wake. Pinchon. 
like pinch on stuff like yeah. gravity's rainbow especially or uh david foster wallace which is inter- which is funny because i remember reading that book and i thought a little bit about david foster wallace and then in the new film uh, they they talk about david foster wallace they talk about some essay that that he wrote or whatever but it's yeah um so i think it's just you know uh coincidence but it's uh but yeah he's yeah he's definitely and, and it's funny one of the one of the kind of some of the woke critics that are maybe taking a bit of issue with it they describe this kind of book as like very male and they say it's the kind of book. Cause I've heard this lobbed at David Foster Wallace, um, infinite jest specifically that it's the kind of book that a certain kind of guy will buy and have in their bookshelf, but will have never read. <laughs> um, it taught about ant kind, and they say it's a very male kind of book to have read. And it's funny because <laughs> I have Infinite Jest, uh, which I have read. I have Gravity's Rainbow, which I have also read. Um, I have Ant Kind, which I have read. Um, and I have Ulysses, which I haven't read. I, I have to read that someday. But... Um, but yeah, whenever I see these kind of criticisms or people going after this kind of book, I'm just like, oh man, I, I mean, I like those books. I don't know. It's, like, does that mean I'm some? Well, they, I, I'm some kind of. But they make it seem like it's some weird, like, like oh, a certain kind of guy who hates women or something is gonna is gonna have these books. I'm like, we talking about? I don't know what any of that has to do with these books. Yeah, they see these things as totemic values, man. They think that they, they everything is a like these things are like brands for them. You know, you, have, you see those people who just like they're just brand obsessed. Yeah, that's what they. That's that's the kind of thing that they associate with books and movies or things like that. So that's why they say, "Oh, you're the kind of guy who would wear," you know, whatever. You know, like these. They they they, they think you know they associate a personal. Uh, they say associate something about your mind by the things that you have, right? But the things right. that you possess and the brands that you have, it's just like It's just like the. It's when the brain has just been overcome with marketing nonsense. It's like when people, you know, be like, you know, there was a period where people would say things like, "Oh, he's dressing real norm core." Like every all fashion things was all like core or something yeah and that was a good that, that, core that, part. That, that was a good period for me when everything became norm core i was like nice nice i'm in fashion i mean i'm in style was and i was like i, I didn't know why they were talking in this manner you know like i was like then i understood as like oh it's like hardcore they think that people's like that's what the like everything is a pose for them yeah yeah, you know it's a posturing, so that someone, if someone were to wear a certain kind, like they think that these clothes are an indication, like I'm trying to indicate something about right. what's going on in my brain. You well, know, because that's how they, like that's how they walk around in the world. That like, you well, know, wearing such... a hoodie and some jeans has something to do with the way I think. Right, but this is it's such a dense book because like just the ideas oh, within it. Because even up, buddy. oh, breaking up again. Am I back? Oh, you've gone robot. You've gone robot voice. 
Can oh, you hear me? How, I can hear you. How about now? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Uh-oh. Jiggle that cord of yours. Can you hear me? Uh-oh. I can uh, hear you. You are very faint. You can hear me again? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Nope. Hmm. Let me just... All right. Sorry. Okay. No, no worries, man. I don't I don't know yet. It's just fucking internet. I I hope we get Wi or not Wi-Fi um fiber up here eventually because yeah, we use I use Rogers. It's trash. Such a such a first world problem, but it is uh <laughs> it is trash. Like I yeah, I have to re I have to reset my um modem my modem like once twice a day it's annoying um but um but yeah shit i don't fucking remember what we were, what we were on. oh yeah so you were talking about talking about this idea of of uh the books as being totemic and hmm. that it signifies something and i was just talking about and, and i was about to make the point that it's how dense this book is with ideas that I think there's actually something of that idea within this book. I think that is part of who B is, you know, these things signify something. There's something that he's trying to um, project to the world. And while I can see, you know, I, I, the first one to kind of rail at people that I see doing that. I think I do that. I do that. Yeah. I, I do that. I'm guilty of that. I mean, fuck, I was doing it five minutes ago. Right. Like, I, you know, in the guise of like, um, in the guise of like bashing those other people, but I'm like, I I have infinite jest and I have gravity's rainbow. You know what I mean? Like, th like there's probably an aspect of that, right? Where um, it's me throwing down some gauntlet, trying to say I'm the kind of person who reads these books. You know, I I, I mean, I think it's a hard thing to get out of and to not do. But I think there's a you know I think there's a line. Like there's definitely people who are more prone to it than others. Here's the here's an interesting. I'll add a little bit of wrinkle to this. It, it, it's because at some level you want, and this is just getting so like Freudian, but it's at some level because you want to be the kind of person that has read those things that you would actually read those things. Do you know what I mean? And right. then maybe find some joy in them find something of curiosity in them right do you know what i mean yeah yeah at some yeah, level for sure. yeah it was because i wanted to be the kind of person to have read or at least sort of watched citizen kane that i found that i would have that that i watched citizen kane you know it was right. at some level it was because i wanted to know something about or read Oh, sorry, uh, sorry. Watch, uh, you know, all of those movies from the seventies because I needed to know 
where all of these great movies of you know between the 90s were coming from like what was the what was the touchstone mm-hmm. there was something yeah. cool about knowing something about those you know those films that you know it was it was the need to become that kind of cool guy that that you eventually watch these things and you say oh not only yeah sure the impetus might have been i wanted to be a kind of guy but also the impetus to watch to be that kind of person also got you to watch those movies or read those books well well and i think in a way though it, it's you can you can kind of see like i'm very out of touch now right like with the culture and you know and i think there was probably a time where i i was probably more in i was more in line with like what was considered yeah like you said like cool or whatever right but the stuff that i like is very masculine i like a very kind of masculine type of art you know like i i can't deny the fact that that's what i Lenny prefer Lenny style movies i get what you mean <laughs> exactly no but you know but that's what i prefer right like i like cassavetes i like peckinpah i like scorsese um and with the exception of maybe scorsese i i think these people aren't really in vogue now you know i think there is a certain uh, certainly amongst the kind of intelligentsia at least or the kind of fil- the film critics uh, th- you know there's been a real pushback against this kind of thing and i think if if i was still concerned about being like these people or you know like like if i bought their bullshit basically and thought oh geez i need to I, 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 maybe I do need to check myself and wonder why I like all this stuff. I mean, you know, I'm not, and it's not that I don't like, obviously I, I have, you know, I have pretty broad tastes, but I'm aware that most of my absolute favorite artists are men mm-hmm. and, and they, and the artists that I tend to gravitate towards the most, not only, are they men, but they do tend to make a kind of art that, yeah, you could say it's a very, yeah, it's very masculine or, um, you know, uh, and I mean, maybe there's an aspect of it that's like a wish fulfillment thing. Cause I'm not, you know, I'm not a super masculine guy as a person. So maybe, maybe that's part of it. I don't know. Uh, I don't know where it comes from, but I've always, gravitated towards that you know and and i think that's part of you know coming to terms with who you are is just like you know like we're at a point now where society basically tells us that or like a certain segment of society that writes about art and that you know tells us that it's probably not appropriate anymore to buy into the mythology of people like Ernest Hemingway. I fucking love that. 
I love that mythology of Ernest Hemingway. You know what I mean? Like I, I love the idea of the guy of that guy who's like, you know, you need you need to be economical in your words, and you need to be to the point and you know i'm gonna go out and live and have all these crazy experiences and then i'm gonna fucking write about them because i'm a real man like you know like i get why politically that stab myself in the stomach at the end (laughs) yeah exactly exactly yeah but i get i get why that way of being is maybe not politically uh in touch with today but I don't know, for whatever reason, I I respond to that. You know, I do respond to that. And I think at a certain point, you just, I mean, who am I trying to impress by pretending otherwise? Like, who am I, what, what, who am I trying to impress by pretending that, um, you know, I like as many, female filmmakers as male filmmakers are whatever it is. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, I mean, at a certain, uh, yeah, at a certain point, like you just gotta, you gotta be honest about who you are. And well, I don't know the, how much the self psychoanalysis as you get older is useful when it comes to the only thing that matters, which is your curiosity and, yeah, attempt your attempts to be honest about it, like whether or not if you w- one were to sit there and to look through Jason's film history and to decide based on what you were watching the contents of your fucking brain, who does that help? Like, what is it going? You are not in charge of the inner workings of your brain. You don't have any control over that. That is just you what you were born with, right? I don't have yeah. any control over it, right? You're still watching movies, right? All that matters is that you like watching movies and you're just going to continue to watch them whether or not, you know, whether or not they're, you know, some fucking Roma- Romanian homo or you know, it's the Farley brothers. Who gives a shit, right? Yeah. At some level. I, I like my Romanian homos, though. You're right. I know. You're right. You're right about that. Um, like, what that says about you, that Jason's interested in the world. I mean, that you're Jason's curious about the world. What What could possibly... What more could you possibly say about a person that's more interesting than that, right? What would be the alternative? Jason doesn't watch anything, doesn't give a shit about anything. He's completely in touch with these things, like out of touch with these things at all. Mm. You said, you mentioned earlier that you were out of touch with the cultural conversation or something like that. It's like, even the people who are in touch with the cultural conversation are out of touch with the cultural conversation. Like We talked, I think, about all of those critics who were writing about Hillbilly Elegy right. as a you know, we are going to comment on what is the mood of the country or mood of the certain part of the country. And all of the critics have it completely wrong. It's hilarious. You know, the critical consensus on that movie is that it's a pile of garbage, right? According to the whatever that Rotten Tomatoes thing is. Yeah. Right? It's a pile of 
absolute garbage. The rest of North America seems to love that movie. Oh yeah, is it a lot of people oh, watching yeah. it's it? It's like it's it's the reverse of Nanette. <laughs> right. Where it's like all the reviews are through the roof and nobody's fucking watching it. Um it well you know, it's funny that you talked about that movie last week cuz when I watched that Devil All the Time movie, one thought that I had was this movie is like it's like the fever dream, the paranoid, terrified fever dream of how a good Hollywood liberal would view the southern United States, you know, because it's all like like it's mired in religion, the religion is ultimately a justification people are using to commit these horrible evil deeds uh, you know people Classic. like like everybody you know the priest is is fucking you know underage girls or he's not a priest he's a minister like it's i forget what the religion is but it's not catholicism but anyway the the minister is fucking underage girls um you know, everybody, nobody's honest. The, the, the sheriff is, is corrupt as hell. Like he's murdering people, you know, it's a good movie. I enjoyed it, but there was definitely an aspect of it where I thought, yeah, this seems like the kind of paranoid fucking, yeah, like I said, like fever dream of a good Hollywood liberal. It's just, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, 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 and, and I think when Hollywood delves into the South a lot of times, that does seem to be what comes out, you know? It's yeah, because they haven't lived, like, it's the same problem that, <laughs> like, you know, in Antkind, like B constantly has never he has never lived a life outside of film criticism. So he does no. So he goes into a slam, you know, he goes into a fast food joint and he sees like an African American lady, a black woman working there, and he immediately his first instinct is to start talking about movies with you know black directors in them, and he thinks that the lady is somehow going to be overjoyed at his you know, at the fact that he's made a reference to this. He just doesn't, like, at some level, he there's a, like, a. it's, again, it's this, you know, these things are just, uh, these objects have a kind of meaning that you would give a human being, you know, mm -hmm. that no regular human being would afford that to, you know, you would never right. place that kind of value on a thing. Although, manner. although I, although I think, I I do think there's an aspect of this as well. While I do think he's getting into this idea of these objects having this totemic value and the idea that it's it's a pose in some way, I there is an aspect of it, and it ties in with um, the recent film there is a surprising amount of overlap between the kind of ideas being explored in both of these. I guess it's not surprising. I mean, he, if he's an artist working on two projects simultaneously, it 
sort of makes sense. There would be some bleed over there, but uh, he, I think there is something he's getting at as well, though, about the ways in which the, all these kind of pop cultural artifacts that we consume and over time and that we love and the books we read and the music we listen to, the way that these things also become part of who you are or they they shape you they become part of your mind you know it becomes another aspect of you know what's kicking around in your head basically and, and i think the the new film really gets into that with like her read doing the woman under the influence is pauline kale and earlier in the film you see a pauline kale book in his bedroom like it's obvious that this guy this old guy uh, you know thinking back on all this or imagining it or whatever the hell he's doing is drawing on these things that had value to him in his life you know like he's drawing on this pauline kale review of a woman under the influence that struck him in a certain way and He's drawing on this poem. I forget who the poet is, but that poem that she says, oh, I wrote this poem at the beginning. And then it turns out that it's actually from a book of poetry that he has in his room and things like this. Like, And I think Antkind is maybe slightly more cynical about that impulse, but... I think it's still, but I think at some level he is still, there's an understanding that these things do matter to people, that the the films you watch or the books you read or the poems you read, the music you listen to becomes part of the emotional makeup of who you are. Right. I think at the end of it, he in fact says, at some point he says, uh, I am not even... What's the passage? Hang on. Uh, I think he agrees that there... What I mean to say is that I don't think that there are no... That they don't have any value. I'm just saying that... What I think I'm saying, at least, is that they... uh, They have an equal value to the things that are... That you would think of as mundane. Like, they have an equal value to... Uh, sounds really stupid to say, but they're uh, you know the, the sunlight that lights the, the the screen behind your television is this is as important as what's the what's on the television itself, right? Yeah. Well, and if you're thinking back, and, and you know, and and the way memory works is, I mean, you know, because at a certain point, I mean, that's all that's in your mind right is just memories and yeah i mean if you're if you're thinking about watching a movie as an example like the time you know the first time you saw a movie and you watched it on your tv i mean that memory of like trying to watch it in the afternoon when the fucking sun was coming in through the window and reflecting off the screen and it was hard to see the image uh that's as much 
a part of the memory of that experience as the like you know the 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 film itself right i think so um i don't have any way to end it but i think he ends it i i wouldn't know how to end something like this but i think kaufman has got the right way to end it uh i'm not giving away an ending or anything like that but i do like this is comes towards like the last third of the page or last third of the novel mm-hmm. um and this is you know this is b at his least neurotic he says uh um so he's finally remembered the film <laughs> and um he says uh, i will remember it again and again i will remember it for the rest of my life but not as a critic i will not attempt to master it to own it to teach it those days are over the days of flag planting of claiming ownership are done from here on in i will submit to the great art it will do with me as it sees fit i will go where it tells me i will let it in let it tear me limb from limb eradicate me rebuild me in its own image i don't know how to finish that thought until i recognize that it is thought in its entirety <laughs> i am no longer <laughs> i mean it is such a fucking pompous idiotic thing to say but god damn it <laughs> i well <laughs> I, I will and it's interesting too cuz i think there was something he really articulates in that passage something that I w- I wanted to try to articulate but I didn't know how so I wasn't going to go there but I think the difference between what we're talking about with things that have like totemic value and you're using them as the signifiers and what maybe Charlie Kaufman's getting at in something like I'm thinking of ending things or in this novel it's the idea that like it's for you this is for you know this is just in your like whether you tell anyone or not whether you ex- explain this to anyone it's about the value that it has for you you know in your mind basically um and maybe i'm still not explaining it well but <laughs> i think you've done about as good of a job as i could i think you're right about that whether or not anyone else finds any value in what we've just said for the last 2 hours and whether with we've the, uh, scraped with, the surface with, of this with all with all the fucking delay, uh, delays and oh, fucking I'll, I'll edit t- that out it'll be a this will be a 20 minute podcast with just <laughs> you reading that passage <laughs> That, um, that was a great that's a great passage. I'm going to I'm going to savor that. I have a whole bunch of passages for you to read. Uh I just want you to do that. I want to record you. Um <laughs> I, I I'll just to, I'll just do an audio book. I just I'll, want you I'll, to do it. Oh, I'll, I'll record I'll record an audio book of that kind. It'll make me so happy. They were they were they literally it's a, I would have I I spent so many joyous like half hours thinking about you reading certain passages in this book and then just fucking cackling to myself 
<laughs> in the middle of the night. Um, this was great, man. Yeah, um, man. All right, we're gonna call it, and um, let's see. I'm gonna get to editing this. Um, yeah, maybe in the future, maybe we'll do more. Maybe yeah. we'll do more book reviews. Uh, definitely. Uh, I'm gonna get Jason to read uh, specific parts of this of his of this book. Um, the world needs to hear it. Um, but all right, we're gonna call it, buddy. All right, man. All right, have a good night, man. All right, you too. Yeah. Bye. Bye.